Podcast, I'm going to read Chapter 10, The Departure from Lemnos. A day came when Heracles left the Argo and went on the Lemnian land. He gathered the heroes about him, and they, seeing Heracles amongst them, clamored to go to hunt the wild bulls that were inland from the sea. So, for once, the heroes left the the Lemnian maidens who were their friends. Jason, too, left Hypsiplio in the palace and went with Heracles. And as they went, Heracles spoke to each of the heroes, saying that they were forgetting the fleece of gold that they had sailed to gain. Jason blushed to think that he had almost let go of his mind the quest that he had brought him from Elocus. And then he thought upon Hypsiplio and how her little hand would stay in his, and his own hand become loose upon the spear so that it nearly fell from him. How could he, he thought, leave Hypsiplio and this land of Lemnos behind? He he heard the clear voice of Atlanta as she too spoke to the Argonauts. What Heracles said was brave and wise, said Atlanta. Forgetfulness would cover their names if they stayed longer in Lemnos. Forgetful and shame they would come to despise themselves. Leave Lemnos, she cried, and draw Argo into the sea and depart for Colossus. All day the Argonauts stayed by themselves, hunting the bulls. On their way back from the chase, they were met, they were met by the Lemnian maidens who carried wreaths of flowers for them. Very silent were the heroes as the maidens greeted them. Heracles went with Jason to the palace in Hypsiplio, seeing the mighty stranger coming, seated herself not on the couch where she was wont to sit, looking into the face of Jason, but on the stone throne of King Phyllis, her father. And seated on that throne, she spoke to Jason and to Heracles, as a queen might speak. In the hall that the knights, the heroes, and the Lemnian maidens who were with them were quiet. A story was told, Castor began it, and Polydelcius ended it. And the story was, and the story that Helen's brothers told was, the Golden Maid. Epimetheus and the Titan, and the Titan had a brother who was the wisest of all beings, Prometheus called the Foreseer, but M. Amethius himself was slow-witted and scatterbrained. His wise brother once sent him a message biding him to beware of the gifts that Zeus might send him. Amethius heard, but he did not heed the warning, and thereby he heard, he, uh, and thereby he brought upon the race of men troubles and cares. Prometheus, the wise titan, had saved men from a great trouble that Zeus would have brought upon them. Also, he had given them a gift of fire. Zeus 
was more wroth with men now because of fi- because fire stolen from him had been given them. He was worth with the race of Titans too, and he pondered in his heart how he might injure men and how he might use Emmetheus, the mindless Titan, to further his plan. While he pondered, where a hush, where, while he pondered, there was a hush on the high Olympus, the mountain of the gods. Then Zeus called upon the artisan of the gods, lame Hephaestus, and he commanded him to make a being out of clay that would have the likeness of a lovely maiden. With joy and pride, Hephaestus worked at the task that had been given him, and he fashioned a being that had a likeness of a lovely maiden, and he brought the thing of his making before the gods and the goddesses. All strove to aid a grace, add a, a grace or beauty to the work of Hephaestus. Zeus granted that the maiden should see and feel. Athene dressed her in garments that were as lovely as flowers. Aphrodite, the goddess of love, put a charm on her lips and in her eyes. The graces put necklaces around her neck and set a golden crown upon her head. The oars brought a, her a griddle of spring flowers. Then the herald of the gods gave her speech that was sweet and flowing. All the gods and goddesses had given gifts to her, and for that reason the maiden of Festus' making was called Pandora, all in gold. She was lovely, the gods knew, not beautiful as they themselves were, who have a beauty that awakens reverence rather than love, but lovely as flowers and bright waters, and earthly maidens are lovely. Zeus smiled to himself then when he looked upon her, and he called to Hermes, who knew all the ways of the earth, and he put her into the charge of Hermes. Also, he gave Hermes a great jar to take along. This jar was Pandora's dower. Empimethus lived in a deep down valley. Now one day, he was sitting on a fallen pillar in the ruined place that was now forsaken by the rest of the Titans. He saw a pair of uh, rest of the Titans. He saw a pair coming to him. One had wings. He knew him to be Hermes, the messenger of the gods. The other was a maiden, Empetheus, Empimethus marveled at the crown upon her head and at her lovely garments. There was a glint of gold all around her. He rose from where he sat upon the broken pillar and he stood to watch the pair. Hermes, he saw, was carrying by its handle a great jar. In wonder and delight, he looked upon the maiden. Empimethus had seen no lovely thing for ages. Wonderful indeed was this golden maid, and as she came nearer, the charm that was on her lips and in her eyes came to the earth-born one, 
and he seemed with more and more delight. Hermes came into the pot before him. He also smiled, but his smile was something baleful in it. He put the hands of the golden maiden into the great soft hand of the titan, and he said, O Amphimithus, Father Zeus would be reconciled with thee. As a sign of his good will, he sends thee this lovely goddess to be thy companion. O very foolish was Epimethus, the earth-born one. As he looked upon the golden maid, and who was sent by Zeus, he lost memory of the wars that Zeus had made upon the Titans and the Elder Gods. He lost memory of his brother chained by Zeus to the rock. He lost memory of the warning that his brother, the wisest of all beings, had sent to him. He took the hands of Pandora, and he thought of nothing at all in all the world but her. Very far away seemed the voice of Hermes saying, This shard too is from Olympus. It, is, it has in it Pandora's door. The jar stood forgotten for long, and the green plants grew over it while Amphius walked in the garden with the golden maid and watched her while she gazed on herself in the stream or searched in the untended places for the fruits that the elder gods would eat. And when they feasted with the titans in the old days before Zeus had come to his power, and lost to Empimethus was the memory of his brother now suffering upon the rock because of the gift that he had given to men. And Pandora, knowing nothing except the brightness and sunshine and the lovely shapes of colors of the sweet taste of the foods that Empimethus M- brought to her, but have stayed forever in that garden. But every day, Empimethus would think that the men and women of the world should be able to talk to him about this maiden and the wonderful radiance of gold. And with lovely garments and the marvelous crown. And one day he took Pandora by the hand and he brought her out of that deep living lying valley and toward the homes of men. He did not forget the jar that Hermes had left with her. All things that belonged to the golden maid were precious, and Amphius took and Amethius took the jar alone. The race of men at the time were simple and content. Their days were passed in toil, but now, since Prometheus had given them fire, they had good fruits of their toil. They had well-shaped tools to dig the earth and to build houses. Their homes were warmed with fire, and fire burned upon the altars that were upon their ways. Greatly were the re- were greatly they reverenced Prometheus, who had given them fire, and greatly they reverenced the race of Titans. So the M- so when Empimethus came amongst them, P- 
tall as a man, walking with stilts, they welcomed him and brought him the golden maid to their hearths. And Ampimethus showed Pandora the wonderful element that his brother had given to men, and he rejoiced to see the fire clapping her hands with delight. And she rejoiced to see the fire clapping her hands with delight. The jar that Amphius brought he left in an open place, and carrying it upon up rough ways out of the valley, Amphimethus may have knocked the jar about, for the lid that had been tight upon it now fitted very loosely. But no one had heed to the jar as it stood in the open space where Amphimethus had left. And Pemethus had left it. At first, the men and women looked upon the beauty of Pandora, upon her lovely dresses and her golden crown and her cradle of flowers, with wonder and delight. And Pemethus would have every one admire and praise her. The men would leave off working in the fields, or hammering on iron, or building horses, or or building houses. And the woman would leave off spinning or weaving, and come at his call, and stand about and admire the golden maid. But as time went by, a change came upon the women. One woman would weep, and another would look angry, and the third would go back slowly to her work when Pandora was admired or praised. One, once the women were gathered together, and one who was wisest among them said, "Once we did not think what. Uh, once we did not think about ourselves, and we were content. But now we think about ourselves, and we say to ourselves that we are harsh and ill-favored indeed, and compared to the golden maid, that the Titan is so enchanted with, and." We hate to see our own men praise and admire her, and often in our hearts we would destroy her if we could. That is true, the woman said. And then the young woman cried, and then a young woman cried out in a most yearnful voice, "O、oh, tell us, you who are wise, who can we make ourselves as beautiful as Pandora?" Then. Said the woman, who was thought to be wise, "This golden maid is lovely to look upon because she has lovely apparel and all the means of keeping herself lovely. The gods have given her the ways, and so her skin remains fair, and her hair keeps its gold, and her lips are ever red, and her eyes are ever shining." And I think that the means that she has of keeping lovely are all in that jar that Amphius brought with her. Then, when the woman who was thought to be wise said this, those around her were silent for a while. But then, but then one arose and another arose. And they stood and whispered together, one saying to the other that they should go to the place where the jar had been left by Amphius, 
and that they w- should take it out of the slave, uh, out of it the slaves, and the charms, and the washes that would leave them as beautiful as Pandora. So the women went to that place. On their way, they stopped at the pool, and they bent over to see themselves mirrored on it and they saw themselves with dusty and unkempt hair with large and knotted hands and with troubled eyes and with anxious mouths they frowned and they looked upon their images as they looked upon their images and they said in harsh voices that in a while they would have the ways of making themselves as lovely as a maid as the golden maid. And as they went on, they saw Pandora. She was playing in the flowering field, while Amphius, high as a man upon stilts, was carrying the blossoms of bushes for her. They went on, and they came at last to the place where Amphius had and left the jar that held Pandora's door. A great stone jar it was, and there was no bird, nor flower, nor branch painted upon it. It stood high as a woman's shoulder, and as the woman looked on it, they thought that they there were things enough in it to keep them as beautiful for all the days of their lives. But each one thought that he, she would not be the last to get her hands into it. Once the lid had been fixed tightly upon, d- tightly down on the jar, but the lid was shifted a little now. As the hands of the woman grasped it to take off the lid, the jar was cast down, and the things that were inside spilled themselves forth. They were black and gray and red, and crawling. And they were crawling and flying things. And as the woman looked, the things spread themselves abroad and fastened themselves upon them. The jar, like Pandora herself, had been made and filled out of the ill will of Zeus, and it had been filled not with but with cares and troubles before the woman came to came to uh before the woman came to it one trouble had already come forth from the jar self thought that was upon the top of the heap it was self thought that had afflicted the woman making them troubled about their own looks and envious of the graces of the golden maid. And now the others spread themselves out, sickness and war and strife between friends. They spread themselves abroad and entered houses, while Amphius and the mindless titan gathered flowers for Pandora, the golden maid. Lest she would should weary of her play, he called to her. He would take her into the houses of men. As they drew near to the houses, they saw a woman seated on the ground, weeping. Her husband had suddenly become hard to her and had shut the door on her face. They had come, came upon a child crying because of the pain that he would not understand. 
And then they found two men struggling, their strife being on account of a possession that they had both held peaceably before. In every house they went to and went to Amphius would say, I am a brother of Prometheus who gave you a gift from fire of fire. But instead of giving them a welcome, and the men would say, We know nothing about your relation to Prometheus. We see you as a foolish man upon stilts. Amphius was troubled by the hard looks and the cold words of the men who once had reverenced him. He turned from the houses and went away. In a quiet place they sat down, and for a while he lost sight of Pandora. And the suffering brother sang, and the voice of his wise and suffering brother sang, Do not accept any gift that Zeus may send you. He rose up and hurried away from that place, leaving Pandora playing by herself. There came into his scattered mind regret and fear. As he went on, he stumbled and fell from the edge of a cliff, and the sea washed away the body of the mindless brother of Prometheus. Not everything had been spilled out of the jar that had been brought with Pandora into the world of men, and beautiful living thing was in that jar also. This was hope, and this beautiful living thing had got caught under the rim of the jar that had not come forth with others. And one day, a weeping woman found hope under the rim of Pandora's jar and brought this living thing into the house of men. And now, because of hope, they could see an end to their troubles. And the men and women rose themselves in the midst of their afflictions, and they looked to themselves in the midst of their afflictions, and they looked toward gladness. Hope that had been caught under the rim of the jar had stayed behind in the thresholds of their houses. And as for Pandora, the golden maid, she played on, knowing only the brightness and sunshine and the lovely shapes of things. Beautiful would she have seen to any being who saw her, but now she had strayed away from the houses of men, and Emptheus was not there to look upon her. Then Hephaestus, the lame arches, archian of the gods, left down his tool and went to seek her. He found Pandora, and he took her back to Olympus, and, his, and in his brazen house she stays, though sometimes at the will of Zeus she goes down into the world of men. When Polyleusius had ended the story, and that Castor had begun. Heracles cried out, For the Argonauts too, there has been a golden maid. Nay, not one, but the golden maid for each. Out of the jar that had been with her, ye had taken forgetfulness of your honor. And for me, I go back to the Argo, lest one of these golden maids should hold me back from the labors that may great a man. So Heracles said, and he went from Hypsipyle's hall. The heroes looked at each other, and they stood up and shame that they had stayed so long away from the quest came over each of them. 
The maidens took their the maidens took their hands. The heroes unloosed those soft hands and turned away from them. Hypsopile left the throne of the king Thoas and stood before Jason. There was a storm in all her body. Her mouth was shaken and a whole life's trouble was in her great eyes. Before she spoke, Jason cried out, What Heracles said is true, O Argonauts. On the quest of the golden fleece, our lives and our honors depend. To Colossus, to Colossus we must go. He stood upright in the hall, and his comrades gathered around him. The Lamanian maidens would have held out their arms and would have made their parchings long delayed, but that a strange cry came to them, though through the night. Well did the Argonauts know that cry. It was the cry of the ship of the Argo herself. herself. They knew that they must go to her now or stay from the voyage forever. And the maidens knew that there was something in the cry of the ship that might not be gainsaid, and they put their hands before their faces and said no other word. Then Hypsopile the queen, then said Hypsopile the queen, I too am a ruler, Jason, and I know that there are great commands that we have to obey. Go then to the Argo. Ah, neither... I nor the woman of Lemnos will stay your going now, but Tomoro speak to us from the deck of the ship and bid us farewell. Do not go from us in the night, Jason. Jason and the Argonauts went from Hypsopleia's hall. The maidens who were left behind wept together, all but Hypsopleia. She sat on the throne of King Thoas, and she had Polly show her nurse tell her the ways of Jason's voyage as he had told of them, and all and all that he would have had to pass through. When the Lamanian maid, when the other Lamanian woman slept, she put her head upon her nurse's knees and wept. Bitterly, the Hypsopile wept but softly, for she would not would have the others hear her weeping, for she would not have the others hear her weeping. By the coming of the morning light, the Argonauts had made all ready for their sailing. They were standing on deck when the light came, and they saw the Laminian women go upon the shore. Each looked at her friend aboard the Argo, and spoke as as and spoke and went away. At last, Hypsopleil and the queen came. The queen came. Farewell, Hypsopleil, Jason said to her, and she, in her strange way of speaking, said, What you told us I have remembered, how you will come to a dangerous passage that leads into the sea of Pontus, and how by the flight of the pigeon you will know whether or not you may go that way. O Jason, let the dove you fly when you come to that dangerous place be hype supplies. She showed the pigeon held in her hands. She loosed it and the pigeon alighted on the ship. 
and stayed there on pink feet and white feathered pigeon. Jason took up the pigeon and held it on his hands, and the Argo drew swiftly away from the Luminian lamp. So that was chapter 10. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya. See ya. Later, bye guys.